Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Got an awesome guest to share with you today, and you probably heard of this person as I start ringing and rattling off some of the accomplishments within her life. Let me begin with this. With more than four decades in the bridal business, Lori Allen is one of the world's foremost experts on bridal culture. As the central figure for TLC's long-standing reality show, Say Yes to the Dress Atlanta, Lori is an influencer not only around Atlanta, where her store began, but around more than 100 countries that tune in to learn more, not only about brides or dresses, I'm going to use a big fancy word here, trains, that's right, that kind of stuff over on the wedding, but around love and acceptance and forgiveness, and grieving, and falling for today. Lori's going to share a little bit about her experience running a business for more than four decades. She's going to talk a bit about overcoming breast cancer. She's going to talk about why she thinks marriages during COVID-19 are among the strongest that she's ever seen. I thought what she shared around this was really impressive. She's going to share a little bit around what she thinks is going to lead to a long-term successful relationship in any area that you want to focus on. I certainly enjoyed my time hanging out with Lori. I know that you will too. So my friends, won't you say yes to the dress by welcoming onto our show my new friend, and now yours, her name is Lori Allen. Lori, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Listen, this is a thrill to have you on. We got your book. I've been following you for years, both online and also through TLC. So mm-hmm. for the four listeners who somehow have no idea who I have on the show today, would you give us a summary of what sure. you do professionally? I'm Lori Allen. I started my store, Bridals by Lori, in Atlanta. It will be 40 years this December. I was right out of college, John. Two weeks out of college. I'm a business major. And... Um, So my store grew and grew and grew, and TLC approached us to do a wedding show called Say Yes to the Dress Atlanta. And I'm Lori from Say Yes to the Dress Atlanta. (laughs) We've done 11 seasons. Our show is shown in over 120 countries, um, and it really has changed my life to be on television doing my work. I mean, I'm no different than you. If you saw me right now doing my job, you'd say, oh, that's just how she is on television. I'm also a breast cancer survivor, and I have fallen flat on my face on national TV, which we can talk about later. And, you know, I've had many ups and downs, and I decided to write a book. And my new book is called Say Yes to What's Next. So it's very appropriate for the times. It's, I think, incredibly appropriate for the times, regardless of what your background is, what your age currently is, or what the struggles you currently are facing are. We got to say yes to that next best step in our journey. And I always think when I bring a guest on, in particular one as accomplished as you, rather than starting with Atlanta or TLC or the uh, you know, 100 countries that tune into your show, let's take it all the way back. Let's start with Chattanooga, Tennessee. Talk about your upbringing. Okay. So I'm from a very close-knit family. 
we are whole families from Chattanooga. We ended up moving. My father is an insurance executive, and we ended up moving right outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. And um, so I went to high school and some of my junior high right outside of Cincinnati. So we were the Southern family in Cincinnati, kind of like almost equate us with the clamp, except we didn't have that kind of money. But we were like that Southern, you know, frying over and frying chicken in Cincinnati. Um, but anyway, I had a great high school in junior high and all that experience. I decided I wanted to come back south for college. And I picked Columbia College, which is an all-girls school in Columbia, South Carolina. And that's where I graduated from. I'm a business major. And uh, my father insisted that if I was going to, I knew I wanted to go into my own business. I knew I wanted to open my own business. So he's like, well, you're going to get a business degree. So that's so where I, listen, I landed. Your father seems like a profound influence on your life. Before we talk about that, let's, let's talk about your mother for a moment. Talk, talk about your mother's impact on you growing up, whether it was in Tennessee or later on in Ohio or eventually beyond. My mother's selfless. Uh, my mother is just such a sweet lady. She's had a stroke in the recent years. So I've even seen it more how strong and determined she is. Mm. And she gave everything up for myself, my father and my brother. Everything was given up for us. And she was at home and she made sure we were taken care of. And I had a very secure life growing up as a result of my mother. Then when I started into business, my mother had never worked before. And I'm like, mom, can you help me? Cause I didn't have any money to hire anybody, of course. And she's like, sure. I mean, that just shows how selfless she is. And we both worked for years for, like I took a hundred dollars a week and my mother took nothing. And we just kept putting it all back into the business. And then she grew to love it. And really grew to love it and worked in the bridal industry for years. So when I think back of my mother, I have, I have so much respect for her and I have even more respect for her now as how strong she is because she gave up so much for us. And not only that, with this stroke, she just doesn't give in. No She's not. Or how long has the stroke been part of her life? The stroke has been about six years now. And it and really it affected her mentally and physically. And you talk about your dad. I, I know you wrote about him. You talk about him. My father's in the book a lot. He uh, is a strong individual. He, my father grew up in a family. Now, my parents are not from money. My father grew up in a family of seven kids. You know, they struggled. But his mother was very intelligent. And yeah. she made sure, she told those children from birth that they would graduate from college. She made sure of it, that these kids were going to go to college. She didn't know how because they didn't have the money, but right. she ingrained it in their heads that they were going to graduate. And so all of them did except for one, and he decided to go on to, um, I think he became an electrician, but all the rest of them graduated from college and went on to do wonderful things with their lives. And so he came from a, a difficult upbringing. And then I think he also saw the fact that one of his siblings was divorced and she had a, a very difficult time, you know, juggling getting back into the real world and into the working world. And I remember my father looking at me one day and I was young, I was probably in junior high. And he's like, this will not happen to you. You are going to be strong. You're going to have your own business or your own job and you are going to be yourself and your own person. Mm -hmm. And I was raised that way. I, and I, I attribute that all back to my dad. And I think circumstances 
started making him think that way. Tell me about that. You said circumstances. What circumstances? I think the circumstances of his difficult upbringing and then him seeing his sister struggle and to get back into the workforce when she had been out of the workforce for so long and to support her children. And he wanted me to have my own thing, you know, and uh, he wanted me to be strong and to blossom. So I was always encouraged very much so from both of my parents. I always oh, yeah. I sense that you, lady, are fully blossomed, that you have a ton of strength, a lot of confidence. As a kid, whether uh, in Tennessee or later on in Ohio, did you have that same confidence already within you? I think, no, I probably didn't. In high school, I was kind of, I was kind of quiet. And I still am. So I, I know you're not going to believe this, but in, in a lot of ways, I'm introverted. So, you know, like to go into a room, even now for me to walk into a room with a whole lot of people, I just kind of takes my breath away sometimes. I have to make myself do it. Now, if you were to come into my store, which is like my home, that's different. Yeah. But for me to walk into a place like that, it just, you know, it, I, I have to make myself do it and make myself get out there. So in high school, I think I was even more shy and, and needed to grow up more and needed to go away to college. So, you know, I went through all that that every other high school student does. I can't, I'm not gonna say, you know, oh yes, I always knew exactly what I was right. gonna do. And, you know, and I was always strong and determined. Yes, I was, but I also had insecurities too, just like every other 16 year old. Well, let's talk about that journey down to South Carolina into Columbia. Why'd you choose Columbia College? You know, I <laughs> my brother was at the Citadel, which is a, a military school in um, Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. And um, my father kind of insisted he go there because he was kind of wild as a march here. He's like, you're going to the Citadel. And so anyway, Randy's down there. I start looking around at colleges. I was accepted at several places because I made good grades and, and I could have gone to a lot of different places, but I went to Columbia College and I thought, you know, this is a place for me to blossom. This is a place where I don't have to worry about like, you know, looking perfect for every class or that, you know, that kind of thing. I, I would be with girls and I thought this could just really be neat. So I looked at, I looked at Converse, which is another all girls school and Columbia College. And I decided on Columbia College. Yeah. And I never looked back. I, I enjoyed it. You end up going on a date. Your brother has a couple guys that he brings yep. in town. Would you talk about that double date? So we have a day and my brother comes up and he's like, I, I've got a couple friends with me. One was Eddie's best friend, Grant McCammon, and my brother and, and then Eddie's there. <laughs> so they all get out of the car and Eddie and Grant are big old football players from the Citadel. I'm like, what? Because they're just big old guys. <laughs> and they get out of this little Mustang, you know? And uh, anyway, they get out of the car and, and Grant, I don't know. We just kind of all start. Nobody was set to be with anybody, that kind right. of thing. You know, we all just kind of hung out together. And then Eddie and I went to get something to eat. And Grant and his and my roommate went, that kind of thing. We all just kind of separated. And at the end of the day, after it was over, I'm like, Randy asked me, well, how did you like him? And I said, he's nice, but he's kind of quiet. And then Randy asked Eddie the same thing. And Eddie said, I talk too much. Can you believe that? <laughs> I, it's a good thing now, isn't it? That but, um, you both well. Yeah, that's kind of how it went. And we dated through college. And we, we, I say in the book, we were young, dumb, stupid, in love, and got married, like, right out of college. And 
you know, it, it's been it's been great. I'm not gonna say it's been perfect. In fact, my um, chapter of about marriage is called God's Grace and Elmer's Glue. When people ask me how I've gotten through marriage, I'm I say God's Grace and Elmer's Glue because you do. Some and days I, it's honestly, great, some days it's not. It's a beautiful title for chapter. I believe it is chapter five for the for the mm -hmm. chapter, but it also has a lot of meaning for the rest of us. So t tell me what you mean and tell our listeners what you mean when you say, gosh, we got through these decades with God's grace and Elmer's glue. What does yeah. that mean for you? Well, we were young, you know, and we had, we married and, and we didn't have a, a ton of money at all. And uh, so Eddie, Eddie is like working super hard. We move up here to Atlanta because I graduated at another semester to go. I graduate, we moved to Atlanta and opened the store and the store opens and I'm not making anything. I mean, if somebody would walk in during the day, I was so glad to see somebody. I wanted to just grab them by the ankles. Now, at that point in time, my store is like a thousand square feet. So what super small. And, yeah, super small. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not taking in anything. And, and we're trying to buy a house and then we have children and you know, just all the struggles of life. And I felt like as we have been married longer and longer, we've become even more of a better team. You know, and I, th I feel like that's what's so important in a marriage that you become a strong team, that you're both your individual selves, but your goal is to be a team in the long run. And I know Eddie's always going to be there for me as I always am going to be there for him. God's grace and Elmer's glue. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a great concept that needs to be applied and lived out by all of us. When, when you begin the bridal store, what's the vision? When you, when you got a thousand square feet and nobody's yeah. even coming in to say hello, what are, you, what are you really trying to do back then as a young 20 year old? Well, <laughs> the vision was... Um, the vision was to grow, of course. I never saw it. Now, my store's 25 times the size I started out in now. My store's 25,000 right. square feet now. I never envisioned the store to be as large as it is, but I knew that I was, number one, I was not going to give up because this was my dream, and it became my passion, and that wasn't going to happen. My vision was, in the beginning, to make, to have enough money to, to keep, investing and to slowly grow and to take some salary out of it. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I mean, that's what you think in the beginning. And it was years really before I could do that. Honestly, honestly, years. Yeah. Lori, why brides? I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this. Some people say brides can be difficult to work with. Uh, really? Yeah, I've yeah. heard. Uh, you've heard uh, decades of, of working at the playground, but tell me why you chose bridals as where you wanted to spend your energy. My mother has a twin sister, June Cottingham, and, and she lived in Birmingham. And Aunt June opened, um, she had at one point in time three bridal shops. So I heard a lot about bridal go growing up. And I knew I wanted to open my own business, whether it be retail or some sort of retail. First, I said women's ready to wear. And then I decided on bridal because I knew it was a niche market. And if you could really do it well, you could grow. At that point in time in Atlanta, when we decided to open here, there were, I mean, there were a lot of stores, but it, there were a tremendous amount of stores. And so I knew that little bit of the market was open also. So I just decided to go for it because I loved it and still do. What do you think you did better? And it's always hard to brag on yourself, but here, here's your chance. Than all the other stores that were around or have come and gone in the last four decades. You've 
you've clearly- oh, There's been people. many that have come and gone in the last four decades. What I've done differently is yeah. I, I, have, I have an open mind and I'm always looking to improve. Like today, I was up on the bridal floor, let's do this, let's do that. I'm changing things constantly because I feel like when you sit still, you're gonna fade away. So I'm always looking for new ideas and talking to the staff. I never would ask anyone that works for me to do anything that I wouldn't do. So I feel like we have a mutual respect factor there. Mm -hmm. And with that, I have really good employees and managers. I mean, that I just love. I mean, really good friends and, and we just work so well together. It's, we have like 32 women and we just are a great team. And they know that I, I am passionate about it and this is my baby and that I love it. And finally, I've never given up. And I think a lot of people, uh, in fact, my daughter asked me one day, she's like, mom, why did you stick with it so long when you, you know, you weren't making any money? She said so many people would have just walked away, but I really never let that enter my head because it was my passion and I was not gonna give up because I knew one day, I mean, I just knew deep in my heart one day, it would be something great and something big. I knew it. It became something great and something big. And not only do people in Atlanta know of it, now it's become a global movement thanks to our friends at TLC. How were you first approached by them? Well, TLC actually called us and uh, they called and asked us to shoot a pilot. So Monty Durham is a really good friend of mine and he's I'm sure you've seen him on the show and we've just been best friends for years. And I called him and I'm like, Monty, I felt like I needed him on there with me to balance out and laugh with. Plus I wanted it to be fun. I wanted the show to be a real reflection of who we are and Southern values and how we, we do have fun at the store. And I wanted to show that. So I called Monty, asked him if he would come down and shoot the pilot with me because he lives in Alexandria, Virginia. And he came down and became the fashion director on the show, it, the show was picked up immediately. And all we did was act like we normally do on a Saturday. We were cutting up and we were laughing and they picked it up immediately. So when that happened, I remember getting that phone call and the phone call was from, you know, one of the producers of North South Production. Oh, let me backtrack here a minute. This was funny. <laughs> the, one of the owners of North South Production Company, who's you know, who does our show, he said, Lori, now I don't want you to get too excited. He said, very rarely are, are shows picked up from the pilot. So just, you know, yep. don't get too excited. And he said, 95% of them never make another season. So don't think, don't think this is going to be something long-term. Don't tell anybody to quit their job to do this. You know, just know this going in. He goes, you're a very right. nice woman, I can tell. And I want to be very truthful with you. He was from Knoxville. And I looked right at him right at the eye and I said, I know that you've shot a lot of pilots and you, you've done a lot of other shows before, but you've never done one with me. And I'm gonna break my neck, making sure this is a reflection of our store and, and that this show is good. And I said, and I'm gonna guarantee you one thing, that I'm gonna be the longest running television show that you have ever produced. And guess what? There you go. <laughs> That's one thing to throw out there. Like it's a ambitious idea. We're going to be the yep. longest running show. 11 years in, we're going to keep on going. But what do you think the secret to the success of the show is? That's one question. And then the follow-up is when people watch, what do you hope they receive by, by watching your show on television? 
the secret sauce of our show is family and the family dynamic of the employees at Brattles by Lori, whether it be Robin or Megan or Flo or Monty, we are like family and you can so tell it watching the show. And people, the viewers really get to know us and that's our secret, secret sauce. And you can also clearly tell that Monty and I are best friends. It's very evident in the store. I mean, we talk five, six times a day when even when we're not filming and and it's very evident in the show i hope when people watch the show they go away from it saying you know there's a lot of crazies out there but they handled them well because <laughs> it is true reality television yes um, we do not know who we are going to be talking to monty and i are sequestered in my office and then just thrown up onto the floor kind of thing and we've got to figure it out quickly one thing I think so interesting about Say Yes to the Dress, though, it's really honestly not about the dress. It's about the family or the group of people agreeing with the bride to take this next step in her life. And when they do say yes to that dress, they're giving her affirmation that it's okay, that it's all right. You're going to be okay to go ahead with this next step. We're behind you. And that's what it is. That's why people love it. Tell me what you hope that a bride gets when she comes into your store. I, I, my sense of reading your book and just following you online is it's, it's much more than a nice dress for one day. So oh, it is. in your own words, what, what do you hope that she receives? I hope when she comes into our store, first off, she's, she feels it's, it, our store is big and intimidating, but I don't want her to feel intimidated. I, I try to speak to, if I'm there, I'm trying to speak to every customer coming in and out the door because I want them to feel welcome and I want her to feel to have an experience I want her to experience like trying on different different styles and learning about the designers and to be educated when she makes that decision and I, I don't want her to leave with any kind of doubt to me this bridal gown and, and I think it is true for all the brides is really the single most important garment you'll ever wear and you don't put that much thought or care into any other garment besides this bridal gown. And I take it that seriously also. I'm gonna read you a quote. It's, uh, I may get a word or two a little bit missed, but it's gonna get the essence of what you said. Okay. Uh, and then I'd like you to share with the rest of us what it means. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but I thought it was beautiful. So here's what you said. Some brides are in love with who they are going to marry and then making it right. And then you went on to say other brides are more worried and more in love with the wedding itself. And then you add, and unfortunately, they're going to become repeat customers of mine. Right. Tell me what yeah. that means. I see it over and over and over. I, the bride that comes in, and, and she may be young. I, I mean, I don't, it, it, the, that, the age really hasn't got that much to do with it. She, she's in love, and she's so excited to be getting married and, and to get her gown, and she incorporates the family. She, you know, maybe carrying the handkerchief from his grandmother or, in, or monogramming everybody's wedding date and her skirt, you know, things like that. She really cares to involve both families. That's the bride that seems very happy with the idea of getting married. Then I have the other bride that it becomes a theatrical event. Mm. She is so concerned about like two beads on her gown or or the fact that when she walks, one side of the train may tuck in a little bit more than the other. 
And I feel like there's something a whole lot more to it than the two beads on the gown. And, and she kind of gets lost. And I'm wondering if she's having doubts. You know, she gets all, this all snowballs. And is she really happy? And is this what she wants? But she's made such a theatrical event out of it. I don't know that she'd say no. So she you becomes right about how the champagne's on ice, she's, gotta, she's gotta move forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you've, you've done all this planning and it, it takes somebody really brave if you don't feel comfortable with it, you know, to back out a week or so ahead of time. Although I have had people do that, but you know, there's more to it with all these emotions sometimes. You know, or why not are all, you so nervous? I'm uh, about as non-stressful uh, a guy as I know. I, I, I don't lose it very easily. And yet, 16 and a half years ago, so we moved toward November 22nd, I was getting very nervous between dresses and trains and everything else that you become <laughs> astute of. Even as a young man, uh, I was also aware of the expenses and the stresses right. and pleasing everybody. and Everything else is this train is going down the tracks. Mm -hmm seemingly out of control. What advice would you have to grooms, fathers, husbands, mothers of the bride, everybody else who's part of this process to make sure that it doesn't become about the stuff that it's not about? Well, I tell everybody, there's no perfection in this world. And while we want your day to be perfect, it's not going to be. You know, uh, your flowers could end up a little bit different than you thought, or somebody trips or one of your bridesmaids might get dizzy at the altar and has to come back down the aisle. You know, there's no perfection in this world. And you just got to roll with it, you know, because at the end of the day, what is important is the marriage. And that's one thing I have noticed with all this COVID going on. It's like we're stepping back a bit from the theatrics and they're still getting a gorgeous dress, but they're toning it down because they have to. And I feel like they're taking the marriage more important. I had a bride the other day tell, tell me, she's like, I don't care, you know, if we have 50 people as opposed to the 300 people, because I still want to marry Bob, you know, because that's what's important to me. And I turned to her and I said, you are absolutely right. And you're getting married for the right reasons. You serve the bride, but you serve the entire family. And I know your heart is for the entire group. You also write that self-care is the new black. Yes. What does that mean? I feel like um, as women in general, when we, after we get married, we start having children and we're so busy and we are, we're running to soccer practice and we're running to ballet and, and we're putting our mammogram on the back burner and we're putting ourselves on the back burner and we hesitate to spend $30 on ourselves to get our little manicure that really kind of, it clears our head and clears our mind and we, because we start feeling guilty and it's just a roller coaster of things. And by the time we're over 50, it has really gotten out of control and we feel like we're not deserving anymore. And I want women to stop and take back and take some time for ourselves and not feel guilty about it, not feel guilty in the least. I mean, I know things are difficult right now, but there's not a thing wrong with us just taking a hot bubble bath or just going on a walk by ourselves in the park. I mean, some of us are even hesitant to do that, but more so the mother of the bride, I see over and over and over again, she'll come into the store and she'll say, I want my daughter to have the best. 
you get her the best. She deserves it. She's fabulous. I love her. And isn't that so sweet? And you know, when we get her daughter all set, then she'll come in a couple of weeks later for herself. And she's like, oh, I don't look good. I don't deserve it. Let me have something off the sale rack. Now see, that's the wrong way of thinking. We've got to start loving ourselves. And I feel like black is, you know, in the little black dress, you've got to start taking care of your own body and your own self to be happy. So self-care is the new black. Well, you talk not only about self-care, but you you talk about the mentality, the mindset of returning to what it was like when we were 18. You, yeah. you write specifically about women, but I think men would benefit also regardless of their age, unless they're under right. the age of 18, to return to that mindset of what it was like when you were a young man or lady. So exactly, words, what does that mean? Well, when we were in high school, you know, when you're 18 or in college, think about how much time we spent like exercising and making sure our clothes were clean and pressed and we looked good and we didn't just throw our hair back in a ponytail and, you know, and put on leggings and go out the door. You know, we took time and care because we cared about our appearance and that made us happier. And we've let that go to the wayside, men and women. And we, because we're like, oh, we're married, it's fine. No, it's not. We need to care about ourselves just as much. And we need to value and respect ourselves. And I, I particularly feel like women, we just give and give and give. And it, I even see it with my daughter and daughter-in-law. I'm like, y'all need to take time for you. And you're going to be a better wife. You're going to be a better mother. You're going to be happier and you're going to be healthier. So I really do preach it. How do you, with a daughter in particular, but as you lead these ladies forward, how do you focus their attention, not only on physical beauty, but on the beauty that lies right beneath that? Absolutely. Well, I think it's so important to feel good about yourself, not only ex externally, but also internally. And the internally comes with taking some time for yourself, like to clear your head. I read a devotional every morning. I take time. I I exercise and I want them to do the same. And I want young women to love themselves. We are too hard on each other. So I'm not saying we have to look like, you know, a supermodel. I'm not saying that at all, but we need to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. And I'm always working on my version. My version always needs work. <laughs> uh, mine too. I've been lying directly. <laughs> You, you are an empty nester. You run your own business. You have a busy family. You have a crazy busy life. What advice would you have for the empty nesters right now as they take their next step? Well, I think as an empty nester, you've got to rediscover what your passions are. And that's where the book falls into place. Um, you know, you've got to figure out what are, what is your own what's next. And it's really a time to reflect because I feel like you know, I feel like life is this cookie and we have eaten after 50, you're starting to eat about three quarters of that cookie. So we've got about a good quarter left. And with that quarter, are you gonna eat that down to the last crumb and enjoy every morsel? Or are you just gonna let it disintegrate? I mean, so you really need to dig deep, find your passion, figure out what you wanna do with this, this empty nest quarter of your life. It's also a time to rediscover your marriage because a lot of people have to become friends again. You have to, you like, you look at your mate and go, who is that? <laughs> I haven't seen him in 20 years because you're so busy 
crossing your path in the night, running to baseball. I, we did it. Running to baseball, running to cheerleading, running here, running there, running your business. And you don't take time for each other. And then they're gone. Yes. And then you're like, what do we do now? So, you know, it's a, a real time of self-discovery. You wrote it's earlier, Lori, four decades in business. About how many brides have you served? Oh, my gosh. I, I couldn't even begin to guess. I, I really don't even have a clue. Tons. <laughs> We're going to go with tons. Tons and tons. <laughs> the second question, you may not have a clue first, but I'll ask you to dig a little bit deeper. The, the question is, is there one bride that you just remember as being like, gosh, John, she came in and then we had this conversation and then we had this discovery and then I sent her out the door. And we like, is there a moment in time? Maybe it's not on TELC, but it's in your heart that just was kind of like represents the reason why you do the work you do in the first place. Oh yeah. I've had, yes. I've had brides that have so touched me that, you know, I, I, I just am honored to help them. I've had brides that have been in accidents and can barely walk and come in with their head held high and so excited about getting married and so appreciative and so joyful and, they're just a thrill to help. And I've had some brides that have passed away, you know, that are, are ill when they're purchasing their dress and we know it and, and you know, they've passed away a few years after. And, and but I, I feel like just to give them this sliver of, of hope and joy. And I know what I do is not, I, I say it all the time, it's not rocket science, but in my own way, if I can give them some joy and, and happiness, you know, it's worthwhile. A lot of the brides and families that you serve have been canceling or postponing weddings and that's happening at scale across the world right now. What would you say to those who uh, feel as if they missed out and got the short end of the stick, what they had dreamt of, this, this beautiful affair is no longer gonna be their reality? So what, yeah. what advice do you have for those of us who are grieving, whether it's the missed opportunity or uh, the other struggles right now that we're dealing with as a result of COVID-19? I think that right now in our country, it's just a super difficult time. I mean, I, I've, I've been through all kinds of ups and downs with the economy in 40 years and, you know, just ups and downs with life. But this has been really strange. I've never had to close my store, but I did for two months. And... I have really felt for the brides, but their resolve has just, just been astounding. Uh, you know, it just shows the American spirit to me because a lot of these girls have had to, to really scale down. I've had several nurses on that have been, you know, on that front line in the emergency rooms and they're like, Oh no, Miss Lori, we're still going to get married. I'm one, I want to wear my dress, you know, and they're because they get it that it's about the marriage. And I'll tell you, looking back in time, they, to me, these are some of the most strongest marriages I think happening right now than I've ever seen because they're getting it. So I think people need to maybe not be so upset if they're not getting to have this huge theatrical event because in the end, five years from now, they're gonna say, we've got a great marriage. We figured it out. And if you wanna do something later after all this, has died down, put that gown on again and throw a great reception, you know? 
you moved from South Carolina down to Georgia with a dream. You've been living that dream, uh, sometimes nightmares, but mostly dream for the last yeah. four decades. Many of us small business owners, and I'm in that category along with tens of thousands of others, are struggling today with COVID-19, recessionary winds, forced closing, everything else that we're dealing with in, in business right now. What, what advice might you offer those of us who are struggling with operating our businesses? Well, I mean, it has been tough. I, I'm not going to say it hasn't. And, and everybody's business is down. Unless you're, you know, like in the housing industry, that seems to be all right. But, you know, overall, you've got a lot of company because everybody's business is down. And we are going to go through ups and downs with business because that's just the way it goes. It's not always going to be rosy and perfect. So you just got to hang in there. We all do, you know, to get through this. And, and I do think there is hope on the horizon for all of us. I, I think a lot of life is how we approach it. And for me, I can't, you know, I can't let my staff see this. Oh my gosh, oh, we still got COVID. What are we going to do? The sky's falling, the sky's falling. I got to be the head cheerleader. I got to be the strong one. I mean, I got to be driving that boat and I've got to be the one. Now's the time for me. What I'm doing with our business down some is taking stock of our inventory and I'm looking around what needs fixing at the store. How can I do this? How can we improve this? You know, this is the time was down to figure out for yourself as a business owner how to be better. And I feel like true leaders are going to come out of this. I mean, people that can truly lead are the ones that are going to survive. The book is called Say Yes to What's Next. When someone gets to the end of your book, Lori, what do you hope they might receive as a result of that read? I hope this book will just at least get women thinking. And I think it has. I've gotten a lot of email and messages, but I want them to just stop and take stock of their lives because we get so busy and we're so busy worrying about everybody else. I mean, and we are worriers, I am too. And we're so busy caring and nurturing. And I want us to just say, hey, to just pause a minute and say, is this where I want to be? Is this what I want to be doing? Am I truly happy? And am I living my best life? That's what I hope. Well, if we do that, that's a, an important next best step. We have seven questions, Lori, that we ask all of our guests. Okay. Answers. We move toward the finish line, which is just the starting line for our listeners. And the, the first question is, what's the best book you've ever read? So I know the best book you've written. I read it myself. I know. What's the best book you've ever read? Oh my gosh. I don't, I, I have just finished. Is it the crawl? Where the crawl? What is it called? Where the crawl of dads lie? I got to look it up. The essence of the book was, it was this lady that was out in Mississippi and it was so beautifully written and she had such a hard life and she struggled, but she figured it out. Mm. And it was just such an empowering book, but it was done subtly and it was just amazing. I loved it. That That's was awesome. my best book so far. Awesome. What, what is one positive characteristic or one trait that you had as a little girl that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Um, one trait that I had as a little girl, I would say, was I was a little bit more fearless. Wow. I was. And I wish now I wasn't as reserved sometimes as I am. Lori Allen, I can't imagine anyone being more fearless than you are. I, I've seen <laughs> your work lady. So you feel like you're a little reserved sometimes, huh? Yeah, I am. 
I am, I'm a little reserved. I told you, like when I walk into a room of people, I'm, I'm just a little reserved. It takes me a while. Um, I'm a little shy. And Bonnie is also. We have a lot in common there. Yeah, we're both like on camera, we're not. But like if I walk into like a cocktail party or a big group of people, I'm a little reserved at first. Yeah. Has this isn't, of course, part of the questions that I'm asking you now, but it's curious to me. Has mm -hmm. this success, has fame changed you at all? No. I, well, I, fame has not changed me personally. No, never. Because I am on television who I am every day. Has it changed my life some? Yes, because, you know, people stop you at the grocery store on the toilet paper aisle. Can I get a picture with you? Or when you're pumping gas or, you know, whatever you're doing. Oh my gosh, I love the show. I love the show. So that part has changed and has changed for my family also. Yeah. So my life's more of an open book now, definitely. But as far as me personally, no way. Mm -mm. If your home caught fire and that little puppy dog you showed me earlier and Eddie and everybody else, all the human beings and pets are out safe and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item. Lori, yeah. run in and grab. My wedding pictures. About that. What was the date? Seven, seven, seventy-nine. Lots of sevens. Seven, seven, seventy-nine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what was the from the? That's the, what I would grab. Mm -hmm. yeah. The rest of it is, you know what? All this stuff is actually, as I have even gotten older, I don't even want as much stuff anymore. It's just clutter. You yes. know, I, I'm liking less, and. I just don't want stuff all around me. I like min more minimal now. Minimal. Mm -hmm. Simplify is next for Lori Allen. If mm -hmm. you can sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anybody living or dead, who would you want to be seated next to? Um, I would want to be seated next to God. What's your Not first question much, God? Talk about <laughs> That's fair. God's part of the conversation. What, what would you like to ask God? What's your first question? Well, first off, I would love to know why, you know, why children get sick. And I, I worry about things, you know, why there's war, why we have COVID, you know, am I doing everything I can do as a person? Am I living my best life? Mm. Am I motivating people like I should? Things like that. I have a lot of questions. Uh, I think you'll hopefully have a lot of time before you get to ask those questions. <laughs> I, do, I hope so. What's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received is from my dad. And he's like, he always says this to me. He's like, you got this, you got this. You know, to have that kind of, per, to have a male figure as a father behind you, motivating you and, you know, making you feel stronger and empowered is just, it's life changing. Mm. It really is. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self? If you could go back down to Columbia, South Carolina and whisper uh -huh. a little bit of advice into your ear, what would you say? To my 20-year-old self, I'd say, I would say, be a little kinder to yourself because I think we're a little hard on ourselves at that age. Be a little kinder to yourself and chill out a bit more. Everything does not have to be done today because I'm kind of that way. And just relax a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Laura Ellen, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Mm -hmm. How would you like your one sentence to read? I want my one sentence to read it. Um, she loved her life. She never gave up and she did her best. 
And Lori Allen, since you brought up your love in your life, one chapter of your life that we danced right past, and I think it's too relevant to just ignore breast cancer. Yeah. Many people who follow you online see this beautiful, successful business owner and, and uh, outgoing extroverts and all these other things. They, they kind of miss the mark a little bit on who you are at your core. Right. Through something wildly dramatic and it's still part of you. So would you mind just sharing a little bit of that experience of the diagnosis? Oh, no, not at all. In 2012, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. The day that I was diagnosed, we were taking Eddie to the hospital because he was also diagnosed with cancer. So can you believe that? I'm taking Eddie to the hospital. We're getting ready to get into the car to drive him. He had a carcinoid tumor. That tumor they were going to take out part of his intestines. I was so worried about him. And I get the phone call that I have breast cancer. Now, there's a typical woman's reaction that I'm thinking as I'm saying this because I didn't want to go get my mammogram. I had no plans on going to get my mammogram that year. Thrown the car to the side because I'm worried about Eddie. I'm filming a show. I have a brand new granddaughter, you know, as typical women do. And then after I have a biopsy, again, I didn't even worry about myself. I didn't even think about it because I'm too busy worrying about Eddie. <laughs> and I get the phone call that I've got cancer too. So you talk about a bad day. Yes. And um, it was April 13th, 2012. And to make the long story short, I ended up having um, a lumpectomy, and then they still didn't get all the cancer, and I ended up getting, having a double mastectomy on July 3rd of 2012. And I go into detail in the book about it. Yes. I did allow, my daughter and I were out uh, right after my diagnosis, and she's like, Mom, you've got such a huge women's platform. You have got to tell your story on TLC. And I didn't want to. Again, I'm kind of shy. Yeah. I think I'm like, if they see enough of me, they don't need to know about my breast cancer. And mom, Molly's like, you've got to do something good with your diagnosis. So I, um, you know, I thought about it a few days. Then I contacted our producers and, you know, of course they wanted to do it because TLC is, you know, basically a woman's channel. And they, we started filming my journey and it became two, t two shows and it was say yes to the cure Lori's fight. So my cancer battle was, shown all over the world essentially and uh the gist of it all to me is you know when I always thought yeah I'm a big baby like if I fall and hurt my knee I'm thinking oh my gosh I'm gonna die but I was tough and I think that you realize in something like this that just how strong you are internally your faith I mean your faith and your family you realize how that important it is to you at this point in time and you realize the true grit that you have to get through this. It was not easy. It took a year out of my life. And I'm the face of one in eight. I now travel all over the country in Canada in October. Won't be doing it this October, but I'll pick back up next October, sharing my story. And I encourage women to do that, to share what, whether it be breast cancer or ovarian cancer, whatever has happened to them, to share it with other women to inspire. Because by sharing this, I feel like that showing that me, the big baby, can be strong and get through this, it encourages other women to get through it also. It's, and we save some lives. No doubt about it. It's such an empowering, tragic, redemptive, beautiful, grace-filled, love-oriented story. I've also heard you, I watched your book launch, Lori, and, and uh, one of the things you mentioned is if you could go back in time and get rid of it, you would. Yeah. And to be honest, I'll just be wildly transparent. I was surprised to hear you say that a bit only because of how much good you've done as, as a result of it. 
Yeah, but I wouldn't want anybody to have to go through that. You know, just it's just such a it's such a hard time in a woman's life, and and I'd love to be able to get rid of it, but you know, I don't see that happening. And and it's difficult now as a female not to know somebody that's had breast cancer. You know, it affects so many families, and and like I said, one in eight, and it's happening to younger and younger women now. Lori Ellen, I want to thank you for fighting back against cancer, for following through in your dream, for staying in love with your husband, and for teaching the rest of us that it's important at any age to take the next best step forward. Keep saying yes to that. Thank you. My friends, that is Lori Allen. My name is John O'Leary, and today remains your day. Live inspired.